Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. What's happening? It's great to be here Monday morning, as a matter of fact. I kid you not, I use the words Monday morning and great. We'll see what kind of week it is. And the weather today expected to get up to 25 degrees. Last week at school for many people uh, in the high school uh, universe. And then, of course, elementary schools. There'll be grads next week, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's great to be here. And I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I Just one of the best Father's Day ever yesterday. Lots of work. Um, my kids promised. One of them promised to go to the gym with me for an hour. And that got delayed. And, and one of them play, promised to play tennis with me for an hour. Uh, the older one uh, is a decent tennis player. Like his old man, I get emotional about it. But they, um, we just decided to sit around, and um, we had a new grill kind of outside, and then we just sat around, and we laid chip down all day, and it was just busy, and we sweated it out and worked, and then had a great meal, and then watched um, watched the end of the U.S. Open, West Coast golf, man. That's the way. That's the way to quote the Mandalorian. So I hope you had a great Father's Day weekend. Um, we start this morning with not awesome news in the least um uh yeah uh, in pickering um there's a boy under the age of 18 who lost his life in a shooting this was at kingston and valley farm roads around 9 45 last night they're still figuring it out uh the male um under age 18 passed away just after 4 a.m and uh it's awful it's quite awful and we'll try and get details of it naturally there's two things that you'd ask one how did this happen what was the genesis of of the argument what was the shooting over and who did this this would be another thing i think people would want to know um instantaneously and were there only um the two people involved and i don't know i it's a terrible way to start the morning but that's all we know about it right now you heard dave bradley just mentioned so boy dead after a fatal shooting in pickering on sunday night is there anything that can be done to slow down where Olivia Chow is going? It's a week from today that you'll go vote in the city of Toronto. It's the mayoral by-election. My heavens, all this got going in early February with John Tory resigning. And the biggest fear I think a lot of people had was you'd push the election too deep into the summer and even a July election. Like, business has to get done. Jennifer McKelvey must be replaced like soon. This hasn't gone great because I and I get it like she's in a little bit of an impossible situation. I know she came out and endorsed Anna Bailao on Friday. She said she wouldn't endorse anybody. And she said that she said she'd stay out of the process. And that turned out not to be um, a true statement that she made back in March or wherever. But this looks like I mean, it's, it's clearly Olivia Chow's election to lose. Will she lose it? Will she play it safe? There's one last debate tonight that she's not planning on attending, but neither is Mark Saunders and neither is Anna Bailao. Again, we're waiting for a domino and we just haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen anybody get behind somebody else. We have seen people suggest that they're the only person that can stop, if you will, Olivia Chow. Like there's beating her in an election, getting more votes, and they're stopping her from what people feel. Those people saying the stop part will be a difficult three years. Olivia actually did a radio appearance uh, with Maggie John on the weekend on Toronto this weekend. And some of what she said was really, really interesting. A fascinating two-segment conversation. I want to play you something she said about Doug Ford in a little bit. But here's, in essence, how Olivia thinks things are going with a week to go. I'm hearing people are saying, oh, my gosh, 
um, my rent has gone up so high, it's like so difficult, or that I'm facing an eviction because uh, my landlord wants to renovate, or or that, hey, how come this park is so scruffy, and those potholes are driving me nuts, and I'm getting stuck in traffic all the time, and why is it the TDC raised the fares and uh, cut the service? So um, I'm hearing a lot of it, and I, and, and I said, well, yeah, let's go and fix it together. Let's, uh, let's open up City Hall, get everyone engaged, and let's do so much better. So um, it's, it's, uh, people are saying those kind of things and they're saying, yeah, I agree with you. So it's, it's exciting because I'm getting a lot of nods. You know, these nod tests, yep. they say, yep, 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 that's right. <laughs> I agree. And I'm the one that's nodding as they are speaking. Okay. How's that landing for you? That's from Maggie John's show a little bit earlier on. A lot of nods, a lot of yep, yeps, but, but it's true. That's how it's bearing out in the polls. There hasn't been one poll from one company for one 48-hour period where it looked like her lead was notably wobbling. There hasn't been one poll, one long sustained period, where it looks like there's a definitive number two. We've seen Madlow second, Saunders second, Bailau second. There's a lot of people thinking Anthony Fury could come up the middle, take some votes, and finish second. I think he's finishing top three, fourth at worst in an election in which he was considered an outsider among six or seven prime candidates early on. Um, This also from Maggie's interview, and it's more about the relationship with Doug Ford, but there aren't very many specifics. Does that sound about right for Olivia Chow's campaign for mayor? Here's what she said about building, restocking the cupboards, if you will, and making a relationship work with the premier. I will talk to him. We will uh, rebuild the relationship, uh, this time him as the premier and hopefully myself as the mayor. We both love the city. It is a great city of ours. We both want um, our residents and citizens to be happy and safe and having uh, leading a, a affordable life. Let's do it together because we can fight, but why would we want to do that? Let's let's be let's build a relationship. Let's look at the common grounds that he and I have and uh, and move forward together. Okay, it's a nice sentiment, but somebody needs to go and battle and battle with the premier and battle with the prime minister. Like, yes, there has to be some mutual respect, but you're an ad. That person is an adversary. They're a block on what you want to do for the city. So that's the biggest issue that many people have with Olivia Chow. I've had people tell me who've known her for decades, known her for decades. Wonderful person. Great in the back rooms. Great behind the scenes. Can she be front-facing? This is by far, by far the most significant front-facing job a human being could take in the city of Toronto. And the concept being, maybe not even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because we can't invoke age. If we're not going to talk about John Tory's age in his late 60s, we can't talk about Olivia Chow in her late 60s. But Tory was front-facing for many things. You do a talk show, for better or worse, Uh, You're front-facing. You run the CFL, you're front-facing. You run a political party, or you're the the leader of a political party, provincially, you're front-facing. People are a little bit worried about this. And though her answer there has a little bit too much, we are the world's sentiment for most people, clearly it's resonating with some Toronto citizens. Yesterday's a great example of Olivia Chow saying very little 
And yet somehow it's a photo op and people are involved. Where'd she go yesterday? A waiting pool. And she noted on Twitter, it's a beautiful summer day, but waiting pools still aren't open for young families to enjoy. As your mayor, I'll work to ensure waiting pools are open earlier so they are there when the hot days roll around. Together we can win a more livable city. I don't know what the last sentence means, but okay. And it just goes to speak, that's not one of the big issues for a city that feels like it's crumbling, feels like it's at the breaking point. And somebody pointed out to me, and I hadn't thought about it, waiting pools are utilized and staffed by very competent lifeguards, swim instructors. Those people are able to work when they get out of school. Who's staffing them in May? And do we even need them open in May? So there's a lot of a lot that's just there with this particular campaign. Olivia Chow's campaign messages, uh, together we can, but it's a great slogan. What? We can what? What are we going to do? What's the can part? Nobody seems to know. There isn't any question she's given the least, least substance to the campaign platform of any other candidate. And it must be mind-boggling and so frustrating for people saying, I think I know why I'm losing. It's name recognition, and people know who she is, and she has a background, and she seems like a lovely lady. But this is where we're at. Anyway, one week to go until voting day. 6.15, we'll check in with Shiba Siddiqui on the way back. There were some car theft stats over the weekend and a really um, bizarre story. I'm sure it's everybody's worst nightmare. Everybody's worst nightmare is not to own a Ferrari, but everybody's worst nightmare is to have a Ferrari stolen at 1 a.m. right in front of their house from dudes right off the set of uh, the Netflix show Money Heist. And this happened to lawyer Howard Levitt over the weekend. But he's not the only person getting his car stolen in the GTA. Clearly, that's not the case. We've got a lot of goodies in from this uh, Global News Ipsos poll. And we're going to run, run some of them past uh, mayoral candidate Anthony Fury at the bottom of the hour. Anthony Fury wants Mark Saunders supporters to vote for him. Mark Saunders last week said everybody who isn't voting for Olivia Chow should vote for me. So there's going to be a lot of that. But nobody's buckled. Nobody's quit. Nobody's dropped out. Nobody's thrown support behind anybody else yet. Um, it's just sort of in this... Uh, this kind of tunnel vision holding pattern right now. We'll see where this ends up going. So, yeah, Greg Brady, Shiba Siddiqui, Dave Hunter's in for Gord Rennie, and we'll hear from Dave Bradley uh, several minutes from now. Oh, this story. Oh, but, and uh, I saw it uh, I saw it brought up by our producer, Shiba Siddiqui, and then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I brought it up Friday morning at 10 a.m., and I'm like, oh, what a fun story to talk about next week. Here's the headline, um, and it's from, uh, it's from Blog TO. Toronto somehow didn't make a list of top places for cheaters. But these, thank goodness, but these Ontario cities did. I'd hate to be walking around downtown Toronto thinking, is it her? Is it him? <laughs> is it them? Where are they going? Is that a father and a daughter? Or is that something else? Like our mother and a son? Is that something oh. else? Nobody wants to, nobody wants their brain to go uh, sideways. But I can't even believe this company exists still, Sheba. But Ashley Madison. I know, they're still in business. Wait, <laughs> going strong. Wait, I, it felt like... It, that's not really like the infancy of the internet, but it felt like when people would place per, you know how you see a movie from like the late night, nah, more like the early 2000s and people were placing like personals online or sex in the city for heaven's sake. Well, I mean, this is a completely different take on online dating. I think that's what caught everybody's attention. It's, I mean, come on. It's, it's a pretty genius idea for people who are, in uh, I don't have a lot to lose, it seems, or, or are fearless. Oh, well, but yeah, but there's like things called like d data dumps. And uh, and I think you worry <laughs> <laughs> like I don't show I don't know that you can use 
a fake name on uh, the way. Isn't their slogan something like life is short, have a fling or something like that? <laughs> I swear I've seen television commercials suggesting that's not, not my recently. fear. That's And by the way, no one's winning the mayor of Toronto with that as a slogan. No one is. Have a fling? At I, any point in time. You've got my vote. No one is. your campaign. <laughs> but um, the there are hot spots for not being monogamous and Beautiful, yes, and one city just leaps off the page like it's it's not like i would call this city sleepy but i don't even know that that's that pun is 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 sort of I'm makes shocked. sense here right i'm shocked so the number one city for cheating in our country is st john's newfoundland how do they prove any of this anyway you can't actually like this must just be signups for well, this is based on ashley madison right yeah exactly by signups and whether they're yeah, you're right. So it could be maybe people in Toronto are just smarter and don't, they don't want to log on and create an account with Ashley Madison. But according to this, St. John's, Newfoundland, Barrie, Fredericton, New Brunswick, Guelph, and Kitchener-Waterloo are the top five cities in our country where people cheat. What's going on in Barrie? <laughs> well, I'll, not much. That's Apparently why there's nothing not. else to do. <laughs> I'm seeing, and, and there's, a, uh, there's a photo which point, points the map out. By the way, you can tell this wasn't drawn up by Canadian people because look at this. There's like lighthouses and and trees, and there's a couple what do you moose. Mean? I love moose, this multiple map. moose there's in the Manitoba. There's the whales but off the, the west coast. There's ships. There's yeah. There's pol- there's bears. There's polar bears up in there's, in the Yukon. Is that an igloo? Those are igloos. Oh my gosh! Doesn't this look like a <laughs> like a map that a grade seven in Illinois yes. would draw? Like this would be what do kids, you think's in Canada? And that's what this project. is what they would draw. Where's there a guy with a hockey stick playing outside of all things? There's a teepee in British Columbia. Why there and not anywhere else? I can't figure this out. <laughs> but you're right. Like uh, like is there something that is for Toronto? Not to be in the top 20 cities and see like Oshawa. I've been to Oshawa. I'm, I'm neighbors with Oshawa. Come on. Oshawa can't be some massive hub of like I think, extra marital activity. Yeah, right. Come I don't on. believe it. Because Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, where are you guys? Where are the big cities? Calgary. Is Calgary on your Well, no, Van's Calgary's on there at 11. Oh, yeah, number 11. But no Montreal, Vancouver. no Toronto. Is this by oh, capital? Calgary's number 10. I see that. Yeah. No, yeah. I think Toronto and Montreal, they're just, they're smarter about it. They're more discreet, I should say. But I, smarter, more discreet. Is it possible, uh, and I'm asking, it, it, would a website like this be used by non-married people just to find somebody to, to like, fool around with? I can imagine so. I don't think this is exclusively to people like... No, of course not. Oh, it's tw- I've been married 32 years, I can't that. take it anymore. I'm go- I am going to experience this once in my life. Well, I can't I think be that just happens. that. I, no, it can't be just that, but I do think there are a lot of single people who think, hey, it's less of a headache to be in a relationship <laughs> with someone who's married because they're busy a lot. They have other commitments, so I just get to have some fun with them, and then they go on their merry way. And there are no expectations there. There are no... Yeah, it's a strange one. Um, that this is ends up being the case. Um, anyway, we'll find. Uh, maybe we can get a Barry correspondent to weigh in on this uh, later on in the week. By the way, the map also says the True North sexiest cities. There's a lot of sexy things about monomic monogamy. Ashley Madison, I'll tell you that right now. A lot of sexy things about it's the, the True North sexiest cities shouldn't mean the the place where people are messing around the most. Yeah, I agree. I think Toronto is one of. I think Toronto is the sexiest city. Montreal is a close second. Yeah. And then Regina, although they had that ill-fated ad <laughs> campaign. What'd you say? Exactly. Earlier uh, in the month. Let's do in or out. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? 
You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. About it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, we have a, we have a good interview tomorrow on uh, uh, proms and graduations and whatnot, and I'll explain more of it tomorrow. We do interrupt every morning around 7:20. But you spotted this story: the European Union will allow phone calls on planes this year. It's coming. What what do we think of this? In phone calls are okay on an airplane. Out. No chance. It's the last bastion of our privacy and not hearing somebody else going, yep, 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 the whole time. I'm absolutely out. I hate this idea. Imagine, first of all, you're already fighting with someone for personal space. You're only already fighting for the armrest, right? Trying to get your elbows in there. Uh, the person beside you might have their, their, their shoes and socks off. Who knows what's going on there? The person in front of you might have their hair coming out to the front. You know how that woman had her long, long hair and she sort of flicked it over the seat so it was on top of somebody's yes. tray table, right? All of these things are happening, invading your personal space. Now I have to listen to your, and it's always that obnoxious guy at the gate who's on a really loud, quote unquote, work call talking about, yeah, you know, yeah, with a few million there and a few million here, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's going to be 3.2 million. Trying to, and really loud. I hate that like guy. Like cutting, cutting deals when he's like uh, he's, he's in talking the line. To his mom. It's, it, the phone's yeah. not even on. Phones aren't even on. So now that guy is going to be right beside you talking or that person talking to their kids or their spouse or their boss, whoever it is. I don't want to hear that on the plane. I'm out. Could I make the case for a mild in if it's headphones only? Now, they're they're going to sound like they're talking to themselves. There must be. But I I think they would actually take it down a notch on the airplane anyway. Are you able to take it down? I don't see you. Most people talk. Oh, I can talk really quiet on the go train or whatever. I don't want to disturb anybody else's (laughs) peace. You've heard me talk about these these people that bring in these Bluetooth speakers into the communal hot tub at the gym. It's like they (laughs) they bring in their own like at bat music, like they're like like their walk up music. I can't stand it. Or people in the grocery store, right, who are FaceTiming oh. while they walk down the aisles, like catching up with people. Why do they? Why do you need the video component? This I is can't what figure that out for, for the life of me. Dave, it's what texting is yeah, for. Yeah, like I don't know why you're on the phone on the go train. I just text everyone. Yes, but but I, I do think the, um, the, the sense of being able with headphones to leave a brief message. I'd like to think the average human being will show a degree of etiquette. What's the message? On the plane? What's, what, what message would hey, you I'm send? Hey, I'm landing. Hey, guess Text where I am? It. Text that. <sighs> I'm, I have to say, I'm out. Dave. People sleep on planes, too. Yes. You're, you're bound to bother. I, I, and I, I, you're younger than Sheba and I, but I don't want to pin this all on your generation. But <laughs> oh. why? What, you know that this happens, right? With colleagues of yours, with, with contemporaries of yours on a regular basis. I see people also like doing the speech to text into their phones. Oh, oh so true. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, slow down. She was a big speech to There's nothing wrong with There's that. There's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Sorry, I just find it hilarious. I live by my speech to text, especially with like my, mm. I have an Apple watch, so I'm constantly talking into it, usually texting Greg back. I, I, I can make the case for it if it's respectful and if it's with headphones on. So I don't want to ban it. That's the thing. But I do think it's got to be policed somehow, the same way that like over-serving somebody would be policed. 416-870-6400 is the text. I think we'll get a wide variance of opinion. I would have said it'll almost be all people out. I can make the case that you'll 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 need an in. At some point in time, you may need to make that important phone call, even for two minutes. We're here for the full week. The full week after as well, and a week from tonight, we'll 
choose the mayor of Toronto in a mayoral by-election. Um, there are by-elections going on federally, four of them, as a matter of fact. We haven't touched on them much this morning. That doesn't mean there's going to be a uh, distinctly close race. And the only Ontario race is in Oxford County. For you who don't know where that is, that's Woodstock Tilsonburg area. I know that Tilsonburg area really well. Um, Dave McKenzie was the longtime conservative uh, MP from there. So that, we'll see where that goes. That could be a bit of a challenge. And um, I don't know how much we'll read into any of the results tonight. Candace Bergen's seat up for grabs. She's very popular in Manitoba. Mark Garneau, very popular in his riding, uh, his seat up for grabs as well. Not yet giving up his seat, but he is hoping to become the Ontario Liberal leader is Beaches East York MP Nathaniel Erskine-Smith. Uh, you're a bit of a political animal by nature. Will you follow these races tonight, the percentages, seeing uh, where it's at, especially Oxford? Yeah, I'll be following along, especially Oxford. I was canvassing there this past weekend, and it's interesting with everything going on with Pierre parachuting a candidate in for the Conservatives, it's still a tough riding to win, no question, but we're going to do better in Oxford than, we, than we've done in a very, very long time. It's it's interesting, too, isn't it? Because you look back, I, I did it last night to look back at 2011, and you decide to run um, as, a, as a potential rookie MP in 2015. It's the it's a mirror image of where it's at now, but but the shoes are on the opposite feet. The Conservatives were coming in, Nate, with seventy three seats. The NDP had twenty two. They only have five in Ontario now. That's that's sort of an un, un um, untalked, not as talked about a story as much of it's been. And the Liberals had eleven seats. And the last election out, the Liberals were phenomenal in Ontario for a third straight election. And uh, and it's been a real struggle, obviously, for the Conservatives to make way here. But you were facing that sort of same uphill struggle that they are now back in 2015 with just the 11 members. With two exceptions, I think. One is in the lead up to 2015, there's a really strong emphasis on local representation. And I mean, that's how I got involved. I was 2930 at the time running a nomination. Nobody knew who I was. And I grew up in the East End. Was My parents were teachers here. And uh, that was a commitment that Trudeau had made to have strong local grassroots politics. And I was successful as a result of that. And two, I don't think Ontario is as amenable to Pierre Polyev's sort of attack dog style politics. And I think he's really going to have to walk back his style of attack and an over-the-top rhetoric for him to win Ontario. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he'd be a fourth straight leader. Harper in 15, Shear in 19, O'Toole in 21. It'd be a fourth straight leader the next election to try and break through what we describe as a red wall. It's 78 seats to 37 with five for the NDP and the one green seat right now in um, in this province. I know, um, I know it, it was sort of a quiet story over the weekend, but an important one as well. This $10 billion settlement with not just the Ontario government, but obviously the federal government as well for leaders of the Robinson-Huron Treaty Litigation Fund. This is a massive uh, story that sort of resolves claims that go back. They don't go back recently. They go back over a century and a half. But it's significant to put a dollar figure on it and be able to distribute this money. And significant to make sure that the settlement happens through negotiation rather than litigation. And a significant sum, $10 billion, $5 billion each from feds and, and the province, and a commitment to reconciliation to make sure that you've got a treaty that dates back to 1850 and make sure we're doing right by that treaty. And frankly, you know, it, this is, again, I think, an underappreciated element to federal politics. But has everything been perfect? No. But there's been major advancements in the course of that commitment to reconciliation. 
And, you know, it's good to see the province a partner in this settlement. And we need to see the province step up, I think, in advance and reconciliation as well and, and certainly talk about it more. I know in your travels, too, you've, you've done a lot of northern Ontario. Um, you'll be doing even more as, uh, as the summer hits. Um, but First Nations issues are, are massively important. And, you know, of course, we think about them in, in the city proper and we think about them in the GTA suburbs. But they're really important when when we spread our nets a little bit wider. And and you could any any liberal leader in Ontario, any premier in Ontario could have tremendous influence on on how things get done, um, especially the things that are overdue for getting done. There's no question. And, and so many different elements to that. So in northern Ontario, you're right. When I was in Sioux Lookout, I was at a high school in Sioux Lookout and Sioux North High School and. In indigenous kids there were saying, look, why don't we have clean water on reserves yet? The feds, and I, I was able to say, look, over 80% of the long-term advisories have been lifted, but there's more to be done. At the provincial level, obviously, there there have to be investments in urban indigenous service organizations. I've done meeting, I've had meetings and tours of friendship centers, and where they are off-reserve, there's a bit of a jurisdictional fight. The feds and province don't fully fund them and don't have a partnership to, to fund them adequately. And so there's so, so much to do. And the other, the other piece that comes up a lot, of, you mentioned Northern Ontario. I'm doing another Northern Swing at the end of the, this month. And it's ensuring that First Nations communities benefit adequately from resource development. And, and that has to be a much more significant part of the conversation, especially at the provincial level. Nate Erskine-Smith's our guest, uh, Liberal MP for Beaches East York, also running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership. He's got an event in the area I'll mention uh, in a few minutes from now. But last week, it's my first chance to ask you about it. You um, you put out something that was in-depth, costed, and yet easy to understand. Uh, wasn't very ambiguous. It was pretty straightforward about how to build housing in this province. Give me sort of the nuts and bolts of that policy and, and why it was so important, not necessarily to get out in front of the other candidates, because I haven't seen anything from the other candidates on this, but just to lay that out for people to consider when we're all talking about it in the mayoral election, a lot of pressure on your federal government to do the same. Why was it this important to, to get your plan out? A couple of different reasons, and first and foremost, because while healthcare and education continue to be the bread and butter core issues for the budget of Ontario, I don't think it's possible for the next provincial leader of the Liberal Party, or frankly, the next premier, to govern effectively and lead effectively without dealing with housing as a core priority. It matters to our economy. People are leaving their home communities and leaving our province because of affordability issues related to housing. And it's a generational fairness issue. Young people are worse off than their parents for the first time in our history. And all of that is unacceptable. Housing is a priority for me. Affordable housing, making sure that we do really four things. One, we make sure that we build the market supply to keep pace with population growth. And that means getting governments out of the way, ending exclusionary zoning, ending restrictive zoning. We see too much nimbyism and we cannot afford that nimbyism. Two, making sure that governments get back in the game on building non-market housing, that we treat housing as a home first and an investment second, and that we see real provincial leadership pushing municipalities to do the right thing with, with incentives, but also having really firm rules where municipalities are not building at a pace they need to be building. A website last week showed that London, Ontario's rent, uh, where I grew up and went to and went to Western, is that one, one-bedroom apartment costs more in London, Ontario then Paris, Barcelona, Rome, Madrid, Tokyo, I can keep going. It, it's this. So when we talk about um, a, a fairness issue, and we talk about it for generationally, people like me who are sending a kid likely off to university in 15 months, 
this can't get solved in one. This is this is the ultimate long game, isn't it, to lower rent in cities like this, let alone the GTA. It is massively unsustainable, and it's not, as you say, just a Toronto issue. This is all across the province. I've heard about it in London, and rightly so, the numbers you, you describe. I've also heard about it in St. Thomas, in North Bay. You hear about it in your travels all across this province. And there are answers that we have to put in place today to make sure that we see solutions in the long term. There are also answers that need to be put in place today to deliver short-term action. And you see way too much in the way of municipalities saying, well, we want to build housing. But when you look at the underlying numbers, they aren't building housing. And not to pick on an opponent in this race too much, but you know, one of the opponents in this leadership race will be Bonnie Crombie. And I didn't fully appreciate this when I was doing a deep dive in housing. Uh, but when I did that yeah. deep dive, she has one of the worst track records in the province of Ontario in embracing NIMBYism. And that may have served her well politically in the short term, but there are real long-term costs, not only to Mississauga, but to the GTA and to Ontario. Yeah, well, even your colleague in the House of Commons, though from a different party, Scott Aitchison, has certainly um, had his battles with her uh, about it, though he's up in Perry Sound. He's made pretty clear that among many Ontario mayors, um, there's been less building built and less affordable building uh, done over the last decade, almost compared to any other mayor. And that's that that's something a lot of people are taking observation of. We need density, and that means gentle density everywhere. And it means much greater density near transit. Doug Ford put in place a housing affordability task force that made really clear recommendations. They said fourplexes as of right secondary suites as of right, and they said six stories up to 11 stories as of right near public transit. And some municipalities embrace those recommendations. The province has yet to embrace those recommendations. The mayor of Mississauga pushed back against those recommendations, and I'm, I'm ready to embrace them. I only have 40 seconds here, but I know you've got a pub night in, uh, in Durham Region tonight in Whitby. Um, tell us about it, and, and what do you learn when you know the average person comes up and says, what do I need to know about you? Why should I be involved? Why should I care so much? What do they say to you? Well, it's at uh, Billy Jack's Grill and Bar in, in Whippy, and, and anyone's welcome to come out and ask me questions. But, but the core of this is there's a huge opportunity to shape our politics in the province of Ontario. The Liberal Party is broken right now at the provincial level. We get to build it how we like, and I'm asking people to come and, and build it with me. Nate, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Nate Erskine-Smith, Beaches East York, uh, Liberal MP and running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership. We were mentioning the uh, Global News Ipsos poll about uh, tendencies, important issues, and how people are going to vote in Toronto for mayor. By the way, a week from tonight, uh, 640 will simulcast the Global News special called Decision Toronto. That starts at 8 o'clock, real-time results, speeches from, from well, the one winner. I was going to say all the winners, but this is not your trademark election. And, of course, the losing candidates as well. I'm sure front and center and part of that coverage is Global News' own Matthew Bingley, and he joins us on Toronto Today right now. It's great to have you on. How are you doing? Not too bad. Looking forward to getting to the end of yet another election. Well, yeah, yeah. It's the election none of us could have foreseen covering last January or December or November. We're like, we won't be talking about who the mayor of Toronto needs to be or who the candidates are for a long time. But but here we are. Um, the main takeaways from this poll seem to be, and, and you know, uh, obviously Daryl Bricker from Ipsos kind of laid it out there. The data tells us Olivia Chow's just just not giving back any of this lead. 
Yeah, and, and it's quite interesting to sort of see that, too, because knowing the way that the uh, the last time she ran for mayor started out strong and uh, and really petered off near the end of the campaign, that is not happening. Uh, you know, we've uh, seen a much more muted kind of campaign style from her. They, she is out a lot less than she would have been uh, back uh, back in that first attempt. Uh, and, and, you know, that is really in comparison to the number of other candidates who uh, came out early, came out often, and, uh, and have really been fighting for every scrap of airtime to, to try to break through. Because, of course, when a lot of this comes down to name recognition, uh, you know, the Olivia Chow's name was already out there from the get-go, and that showed us right away from the early polling that, that, Mm. you know, how strongly she showed up, and that is still the case right now. Matt, any consensus as to the most likely person um, to beat her or even to finish second? A lot of candidates like to raise their hand and say, I'm ahead in this poll, I've moved up, these numbers are helping me. What's our latest poll that we did with Ipsos tell us? Yeah, well, the consensus from that is that Mark Saunders is back in second place. He's at 14% compared to Olivia Chow's 38%, so really just dwarfed by Olivia Chow. Uh, Anna Bailao in third place with 12%. Uh, you know, both Bailao and Saunders had been trying to sort of frame themselves as that second person person candidate, the only one that can uh, take on Chow. You, you hear it in Saunders' approach, the, you know, Saunders is how you stop Chow campaign. It does not look like that's the case. When you look at the undecided voters, uh, 14% of them, Daryl Bricker with Ipso is pointing out that even if you were to tack that number on to someone like Mark mm-hmm. Saunders, that's 28%, you're still 10 points behind. And you have all these other candidates that are eating away at each other and making it really uh, impossible for them to, to to take a swipe at her. We've we've seen several of them saying, "Listen, drop out of this race, come over to me, uh, and and throw your support behind me." And that's the only way that we can do this. But you know, even Anthony Fury is out this morning saying mm-hmm. uh, Mark Saunders should drop out and throw his support behind me because nobody wants to drop out. So it's it's you really wonder if there's ever a chance, but. At the moment, Bricker's saying that this is Olivia Chow's to lose and that he's never seen a lead like this in his 35 years in polling and that it would really take something either untowards or catastrophic in her campaign to see her lose this. Matt Bingley's our guest, of course, on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. Lots of issues that the poll, uh, people polled in, in this particular survey documented as being really important to them. Maybe nobody thinks Olivia Chow is going to do the best job on on uh, crime or putting more police on the streets or public safety, but they seem to like her on the cost of living issues, don't they? Absolutely. She leads in every single category except crime and safety. Uh, crime and safety, that's, that's the third most important issue in the top five for the next mayor. Uh, she comes in a second place to uh, with 18% compared to Mark Saunders at 36%. That's the only time that he actually dip, dips into the top five here. But on affordability of housing, cost of living, spending taxpayers money wisely, and public transit, Chow is out far, 
far ahead in the lead on those issues. And, and really the interesting thing on all of these issues, even when you duck down a little bit lower, uh, is that despite all the attacks that we've seen from Saunders, from Bailau, from Bradford especially during all these debates saying Olivia Chow's going to raise your taxes, she's going to make everything even more, more unaffordable in an age of already high inflation and, and high costs out there, uh, th- th- she really is untouchable when it comes to this. Uh, you know, spending taxpayers' money wisely, she polls at 27% compared to Saunders at 11% and all these other issues and uh, th- that you go down that have to do with spending on the city's finances and budget. You know, you know Saunders has pointed to City Hall as being this place that, that spends money mm-hmm. on all these pet projects, but but it seems that the people that have been polled in this want to see a lot of issues handled uh, by someone that is going to be more in tune with some of the social issues out there. Uh, homelessness, Chow polling at 37% to Saunders 9%, and, and social services 41% for Chow versus 7% for Saunders. And, uh, it, you know, really the only way that Saunders comes close to her is when it comes to traffic congestion. He, he gets a little bit closer to her 18% with 16%, but but really no surprise with the, the opposite side on it when we've been hearing him talk so negatively about bike lanes and expansion. Uh, he just it goes off a cliff yeah. to, to chow on that. Yeah. The numbers are speaking pretty loudly right now uh, for one candidate. Matthew, thanks so much for the time this morning, and I know we'll be uh, we'll be seeing you front and center a week from tonight. My pleasure. Matthew Bingley joining us. Um, it's one of those things where, really where, again, you know, I'll bring up Chicago again. The Chicago mayoral election was held on February 28th, and what do they do? They take the top two candidates, and they run off about five weeks later on April 4th. And you might say, oh, please, I don't want to go vote twice. Okay, but if 67 to 68% to 70% don't vote for the actual mayor, maybe you would prefer it. I don't know how a one-on-one scenario would go with Chow versus Matlow or Chow versus Saunders or Chow versus Fury. I know she wouldn't be an overwhelming winner against those four. Chow versus Anna Bilo. Anna Bilo's got seven city councilors endorsing her. Chow's got a couple. Like, like, again, if we're going to go first past the post, if we're going to play this game, then you're this is what you're going to end up with at times voter apathy and at times the result that the majority of people may not necessarily have approved. Reading the story, Sheba Siddiqui's reading um, it as well. They've built a school, a new school in, in the TDSB, Gene Lum Public School, saying they had an opportunity to make a more inclusive environment. Um, there are single-user accessible facilities. Um, but they've tried this out, Sheba, before. But here's the problem. They've built some of these gender-neutral washrooms with the space underneath, and they haven't made it like like a, like a set door, and everything is closed off. You couldn't peek over the top. You couldn't peek over the bottom. Yep. And I don't know how you feel about it. I, I, I have boys. I, I don't have a daughter. I'm not worried about a daughter go, walking into a bathroom with a bunch of you know, honestly, elementary school or high school dudes in there. It just doesn't cross my mind. Maybe people of, of, of girls feel about differently about this policy. hundred percent. I hate this policy. So this is a school, 550 students uh, from kindergarten to grade eight. And for me, it's that age group. That's when you're testing your boundaries. You're pushing your limits. You're goofing around. You're still very immature. You find things that are highly inappropriate, funny, or you're just trying to look cool in front of your friends. So what they've found with oftentimes uh, in this study when they have 
uh, gender-neutral bathrooms and no other option for kids, there are certain things that are happening that are very concerning. For example, um, in, in in an elementary school that had this, there, there are often stall doors that are being kicked, kicked open while girls are inside. Uh, there was a boy that exposed himself to a girl. Uh, and then oftentimes when there are no toilets or urinals because it is gender neutral, there's urine all over the seat. Messy stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like you don't want to go into that bath. And then honestly, this is an age where you're going through puberty. For a girl, it's so, it's such a sensitive age. She gets her period, what, grade four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever age it is. You're very sensitive at that age. You don't want a guy in the stall next door to you while you're trying to figure out how to put a pad on. You don't want to do that. It's. I think this is a horrible idea. I went to U of T. I lived in U of T Res for the mm-hmm. first year, uh, and we had gender neutral bathrooms. We shared bathrooms. It was a co-ed res, so we had co-ed bathrooms. And, well, it wasn't called gender neutral back then. It was called co-ed bathrooms. Right. And honestly, like, the showers are beside each other. The stalls are beside each other. And it took some getting used to, but we were in university. So there was a little bit more you know, maturity and respect involved. But I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm in the stall and then the guy beside me is quite frankly taking the... Making noises? <laughs> Making noises. But simultaneously uh, on the phone with like his mom no, yelling into the phone. Yes. Bad. Yes. Expel that, expel that young man. <laughs> Send him home. Back to mom. I, you know, absolutely. Should there be gender neutral bathrooms in schools? Yes. But I think that you should have the option, the, the boys' bathroom, the girls' bathroom, the gender-neutral bathroom. Exclusively gender-neutral, I hate this idea. Yeah, it's, to not give options where, like, the goal the, the goal is about learning, but it's also about safety and it's about developing. And when you're in grades, when you're in elementary school especially, there isn't going to be that sense of maturity about it. I, I, I don't know that I'd feel any differently. Look, even now, I'll bring this up, when we use a porta potty somewhere— it's a bit of an odd feeling to be waiting outside a porta potty. I'm a man. I'm going in, and a woman's coming out. I didn't want to be putting any pressure on her to hurry. I didn't want to <laughs> knock on the door. Like those are the kind of those are the little things. And I'm way, way, way past those sort of awkward teenager years. But bathroom stuff's just kind of awkward anyway. It, it is. just always is. And when what you if should- the boy or the girl you like is in the stall beside you and you really got to go? There goes. There goes that relationship. That's not happening. And, and uh, all I remember from elementary school and high school is like one of the worst things you could do, a little like that scene in Pretty in Pink, is like shove a boy into the girl's bathroom. We we treat that as kind of sacred. Like it, it it's not supposed to be messed with. And we, to be honest, I think it's important that boys understand that girls have their own space there and boys have their own space there. Now, I know what people are going to say. What if someone is in transition? What if someone is non-binary? We have to provide spaces. Yes. Absolutely we should. But it's a little bit different. Like, I I find the trustees' comments a little glib here, um, who is the TDSB (sighs) trustee in the comments, because she's like, what is gender anyway? Uh. I'm like, do you really want me to answer that? Because I'll answer it for you. And by the way, are they genderless bathrooms or are they sexless bathrooms? Because again, at five, six, seven, eight, then those are the conversations we have about, are we even talking this in school? Are we even making these distinctions in school? And should we be? We're not fully forming brains yet at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Again, we'll we'll debate forever no, but, but what we is, should be teaching kids at that age about sex education and, and yes. the world, et cetera, et cetera. 
How serious do we want to do we want to be serious as a heart attack every day? It's a sensitive age too. It's so it's sensitive, sensitive because you're learning about your body, how it works. You're learning about the you know the opposite sex and their bodies. And my my grade four daughter comes home and literally tells me we had health class today, and she smirks at me. And I'm like, okay, what did you learn in her health class? And she says we had to say penis five times all together. And then we had to say vagina five oh, times altogether. Boy. That's what my daughter's doing in grade four. I just looked at her and said, this is what you're learning? I said, you already know these words. And she's like, and she just smirks at me and says, we had to say it together as a class. Our teacher made us say it. So I mean, this is what's happening. And because it's, and they're giggling about it. Yeah. So it's a sensitive topic. It's a sensitive time. It, I will say though, in kindergarten, it is completely gender neutral because the bathrooms in the kindergarten classroom, they don't even have a stall door. So like one kid's going, another one walks in and just starts a conversation with the mother on the toilet. Well, yeah, but but there, the, yeah, it, oftentimes in kindergarten, if you're lucky enough to have it, that way when kids got to go, they got to go fast. And, <laughs> and there's a bathroom that's five feet away, not 500 feet away, down one hallway, up the stairs. And, you know, we've all had to, I think we've all had to make those runs in school where we're like, <laughs> I've held it too long and, uh, and I got to get out of this classroom. I need permission to go in a hurry. But like I read this, the TDSB says it's taking steps to provide more privacy by installing new doors that are taller and closer to the floor. How about completely to the floor? Why didn't you think of that in the first place? Like I said, like Yorkdale Mall has. Pearson Airport at, at Terminal 1 now has a, a new all-gender washroom. That's great. great. Fantastic. Yeah. I applaud it. Wonderful. Uh, if it's the closest one, I'll use it. I don't care who's coming in and out of there. I'll use it. So, yes, like I think you can be pro-diversity and pro-inclusion. There aren't these boxes you got to check here and still say it's not practical in a school or when, where you got 10-year-olds who still like giggle at those words and blush and this and that. And as you said, you're going through menstruation the first time. You're, you're not wanting to be a girl walking. And by the way, boys talk in there and girls talk in there. Do you think a girl feels comfortable rounding the corner and seeing five boys who are older than her standing at a sink, even if her stall is private? No way, man. Yeah, there's no way. So, yeah. That would be very intimidating. Let's say you're in grade two or grade three and there are a bunch of grade eight boys in that bathroom. No way. No way. Um, I saw this poll and, uh, you know, for what we say about politics, thank goodness we're not here. Um, This is new. 71% of Americans, half of all Democrats, say Joe Biden at 80 is too old to be president. Now, um, I I do I, I do think that we're coming to a bit of a head here. I said this to my wife last night because I played this clip for her, where uh, Democrats are so afraid to say that they're. I, I just feel bad when I see him. I don't know that Joe Biden wants to keep doing this. I don't know that he should keep doing this. But there isn't a doubt in anybody's mind that cognitively he's starting to struggle. Here he is in Maryland uh, talking about gun control and gun registries, and he drops this at the end of his speech. I'm going to ask the White House photographer to come up, and all I'm going to do is I'm going to stand. I can't. I usually shake everybody's hand, but I'm going to stand in front of each section. No, I really mean it. And then, and if you can see the camera, they can see you. And uh, it's the least consequential part of this whole meeting for you. I promise. All right. God save the queen, man. I, it's just out of nowhere. Yeah. Apropos of nothing. And it starts to make me feel bad. I mean, I've look. I a, feel bad for him. Anybody too. who's watched parents start to suffer cognitively and change over time. I'm just like, I, I think you have a father in your 80s. I have a dad who will be 80 next February. 
I want him as comfortable and relaxed with a support system around him. I don't want him getting on airplanes every day, having to put a suit on and having him make speeches. I can't believe people around Joe Biden want five more years of this for him. I mean it. I'm with you on this, but I feel like he he feels he has no choice. He's got to save everybody. If this is the best the Democrats have, this 80-year-old man who needs to be sitting in a rocking chair playing with his grandkids, frankly, that's where he should be, yes. not falling off of a bike and not, you know, uh, slipping up and saying random things in a speech. Uh, I just, I think he, there, fe- it's he a sad fell down state. two weeks ago, right? He slipped over a, a sandbag yes. right at a speech outside yes. at, a, at a military speech. Like, I don't, is it like, again, things only go in, they either stay the same, they get better, or they get worse. Where do we think this is going for the next half decade for Joe Biden cognitively? It's awful to say, but it's real to say. And to your point, if you don't believe in your policies enough, if you don't believe in your mandate enough, if you think a Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis is enough of a threat that this is the only human being in in a 330 million person country that can win the election my goodness you got to you got to do some serious reflection on this canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime history and the paranormal since 2017 the award winning dark poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the great white north and beyond delivering chilling tales from a uniquely canadian perspective Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.